All right, Saints, Revelation chapter 12. Um, we, we covered chapter 11 um, last week, and, and what's going to happen is in chapters 11 all the way through um, 14, there's going to be a pause that is going on, and so we're going to be looking at here um, seven signs as we go through this. And it opens up in Revelation 12, verse 1, Now a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, and with the moon under her feet, and on her head a garland of twelve stars. Then being with child, she cried out in labor and in pain to give birth. And another sign appeared in heaven, behold, a great fiery red dragon having seven heads and ten horns and seven diadems on his heads. And his tail drew a third of the stars of heaven and threw them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was ready to give birth and devour her child as soon as it was born. Verse 5, she bore a male child who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron. And her child was caught up to God and his throne. Then the woman fled into the wilderness where she has a place prepared by God that they should feed her there 1,260 days. So we're looking at this first sign. Now understand that this is a sign. It's not an actual woman, but it's a sign. It's a representation. And as we see this sign, there's a lot of different you know, people who have a lot of different interpretations to what this sign is. Now, understand it is a sign, and you can choose to try to... There are some people who use pseudo-scripture. There's some people who simply make up what they want to make, and, and there's others that where we're going to do, we're going to be looking at as, as much as we can the fullness of what Scripture teaches through this. There's a lot of different interpretations of, of who this woman is, what this woman is, and there's some that I won't even give them just the, I won't even say it just because they're so far out there. But some that would merit um, consideration is um, most people within the Catholic faith believe this woman to be Mary. Um, there are a lot of Christians who believe this woman to be the church, and so, um, and of course, then where I'm going to go, and I'm going to see where, um, we're going to look to Scripture, where this woman is, is Israel. So you have basically those choices, which are, are comparable. We'll, we'll give them that they're, you know, at least in Scripture. You have Mary in Scripture. You have the church in Scripture. You have Israel in Scripture. But it's interesting that I don't believe that it can be Mary. And the reason I don't believe it can be Mary is because in verse 5 and verse 6, it says she bore a male child who was to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. That could be Mary. And her child was caught up to God and his throne. Well, that would be the resurrection of Christ. Then the woman fled into the wilderness where she has a place prepared by God that they should feed her there 1,260 days. So here's the problem that I have with Mary, that after Jesus was resurrected, she didn't go out into the wilderness for three and a half years. Now, when she first had Christ, you know, we know that, you know, with, with Herod there in Matthew chapter 2, you know, verses 13 through 19, where there was this, you know, they were called to go down to Egypt and there they stayed in Egypt. 
the trying to determine that amount of time is difficult. Most believe that it's somewhere around two years, but it could be as much as three and a half years. So it could be that. My problem is, is that she doesn't go down to Egypt after the resurrection of Christ. She goes down to Egypt after the birth. So because of that, I would say that it's probably not Mary. Um, there are other ones who say that it is the church. Well, the problem with the church is in verse 5, it says she bore a male child. <laughs> now, you have to understand, um, the church doesn't give birth to Christ. Christ gives birth to the church. We're, we're, we're his. So um, that simply throws that one out for me. Israel. Israel makes sense. Um, and the reason why it makes sense is because so often you do see in Scripture that Israel is referred to as a woman. I want to read to you just one quick passage um, while you guys are turning to Genesis chapter 37. But the passage I want to read to you for your note takers is found in Isaiah chapter 54, verse 5 and 6. Just let me read it to you. For your maker is your husband, the Lord of hosts is his name, and your redeemer is the Holy One of Israel. He is called the God of the whole earth, for the Lord has called you like a woman forsaken and grieved in spirit, like a youthful wife when you were refused, says the Lord our God. So we see that often Egypt or Israel is called a woman, called the wife of Jehovah. Now I want to share with you a passage in Genesis chapter 37. In Genesis chapter 37, Joseph is sharing with his brothers his dreams. And it begins this in verse 9, after Joseph is dreaming. Then he, that is Joseph, dreamed still another dream. And he told it to his brothers and said, Look, I have dreamed another dream, and this time the sun, the moon, and the eleven stars bowed down to me. So he told it to his father and to his brothers, and his father rebuked him and said to him, What is this dream that you have dreamed? Shall your mother and I and your brothers indeed come to bow down to the earth before you? And his brothers envied him, but his father kept the matter in mind. So at this point here, when Joseph has the dream, Israel is allowed the interpretation by God, realizing that the sun and the moon and the 11 stars are him, his bride, and his children. And so we see here that when this great sign appears in Revelation 12:1, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a garland of 12 stars. So you have the son being Israel, his wife, and the children. In other words, the nation of Israel. And then we see here that being with child, she cried out in labor pain to give birth. So Israel now gives birth to this male child, Understand that being with child, I would have capitalized that C um, because we do see here that there in, in verse 5, she bore a male child who was to rule the nations with a rod of iron and her child was caught up to God and his throne. So we understand that here that child speaks of you know, Jesus Christ, this beautiful portrait of who he is. So Israel now has, through Israel, comes the Messiah. 
Now understand that as she has the Messiah, as Israel is about to give birth, there is going to be this tribulation. So being with child, she cried out in labor pain to give birth. Now, two passages I want to share with you. One is found in Isaiah chapter 26. I'm going to read verses 5 through 8 initially. Let me simply read it to you. For he... Isaiah 26, verse 5, brings down those who dwell on high. The lofty city, he lays it low, he lays it to the ground, he brings it down to the dust. The foot shall tread down the feet of the poor and the steps of the needy. The way... Oh, that's why I'm I'm missing it. I'm thinking this doesn't sound right. Isaiah, chapter 26, beginning in verse 16 through 18. Um, It declares this, O Lord, in trouble they have visited you. They have poured out a prayer when your chastening was upon them as a woman with child as is, is in pain and cries out in her pangs when she draws near the time of her delivery. So I have been in your sight, O Lord. So we have been in your sight, O Lord. We have been with child. We have been in pain. We have, as it were, brought forth wind, only wind. We do not have, have we do not accomplish any deliverance in the earth, nor have the inhabitants of the world fallen. So here they have this pain, and they're crying out in pain as they go through. Now, as they do go through in pain, let me read with you one other passage here as she cries out. In Jeremiah 30, verses 5 through 8, that's the numbers I was looking for earlier, it declares this, For thus says the Lord, we have heard a voice of trembling of fear and not of peace. And now, ask now and see whether a man has ever is ever in labor with child. So why do I see every man with his hands on his loins like a woman in labor, and all faces turn pale? Alas, for the day is great, and that none is like it, and it is the time of Jacob's trouble, but he shall be saved out of it. For it shall come to pass in that day, says the Lord of hosts, that I will break his yoke from your neck, and will burst your bonds. Foreigners shall no more enslave them, but they shall serve the Lord their God and David their king, and I will raise up whom I will raise up for them. So at this point, he does say that there is going to be this one who's going to come. So this is that male child that is now being birthed through the nation of Israel. So this is a sign, and within this sign, understand that we see initially this woman that goes on, and this is now at the midpoint of the tribulation. Remember now where we finished last week that there were those two witnesses, and those two witnesses were going to be there. Then that seventh trumpet sounded, and now we're looking at here these signs that are going on, but the signs are going to be happening here at the last point of the, the three and a half years through the tribulation. So the sign that he sees is this woman. The woman, of course, clothed with the sun, the moon under her feet, the garland of stars. Israel, his wives, his children. Israel then gives birth to this child, and then verse 3 says, another sign appeared. Now again, this isn't an actual dragon. This is a sign, a representation. So he sees this new sign appearing Behold, a great 
fiery red dragon having seven heads and ten horns and seven diadems on his heads. Now, as we see this dragon, verse 9 tells us what this dragon is. We don't have to guess. We don't have to make believe. So verse 9 says, So that great dragon was cast out, that serpent of old called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world, he was cast to the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. So you know who this dragon is. You have Israel, and you have Satan, who's trying to stop um, Israel from ever having the Messiah be born. And so he knows that it's going to be the seed of Abraham. He knows it's going to be the seed of the woman. And so as he understands those truths, now he's trying to prevent here Israel from, you know, ever bringing through the Messiah. So this new sign, another sign, verse 3, appears in heaven. A great fiery red dragon having seven heads and seven horns and seven diadems on his heads. Now, the dragon itself is called a fiery red dragon. And if you've ever seen any of the old um, cartoons, maybe you've seen Satan in the, the red long underwear. And somewhere along the picture, there's fire either on his pitchfork or there's fire on him. There's fire somewhere. And so we understand that here that this fire comes out. It talks about, you know, where you would almost see that, that picture of... Um, or Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego went into that fiery furnace. He's there to consume. You see this power. But he's a fiery red dragon. He has seven heads and ten horns. Now that seven heads and ten horns, I'm so thankful that we just recently had gone through the book of Daniel because now all this stuff is going to start making sense to you. Remember in Daniel chapter 7, let me start reading in verse 2. I'm going to read all the way down to verse 14. In Daniel 7 verse 2, we saw here there was this beast that comes up. So in Daniel 7 2, Daniel spoke saying, I saw in my vision by night and behold, the four winds of heaven were stirring up the great sea. And the four great beasts came up from the sea, each different from the other. The first was like a lion, it had eagle's wings. I watched till his wings were plucked off, and it was lifted up from the earth and made to stand on two feet like a man, and a man's heart was given to it. So, Nebuchadnezzar with Babylon. Verse 5, and suddenly another beast, a second, like a bear, was raised up on one side, and it had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth, and they say to it, Arise and devour much flesh, so the Medo-Persian Empire. Then verse 6, And after this I looked, and there was another like a leopard, which had on its back four wings like a bird, and a beast also had four heads, and dominion was given to it. So Alexander, who conquered the world and his four generals. Now verse 7 declares this, And after this I saw in the night vision, behold, a fourth beast, dreadful, terrible, exceedingly strong. It had huge iron teeth. It was devouring and breaking in pieces. It trampled the residue under its feet. It was different than all the beasts that were before it, and it had ten horns. At this point, we see here that it's that Roman Empire. And, of course, the Antichrist comes out of the revived Roman Empire. And so you have now these ten horns. In verse 8, I was considering the horns, 
And there was another horn, a little one, coming up among them. So within this Roman Empire, this little horn comes up. That's the Antichrist here. Um, whom the first three horns were plucked out by the roots. He conquers three of those kingdoms. And so, and then um, there in this horn were eyes like the eyes of a man and a mouth speaking pompous words. And I watched till the thrones were put in place. And the Ancient of Day was seated and his garment was white as snow. And the hair of his head was like pure wool and his throne was like a fiery flame and its wheels burning fire. And a fiery stream issued and came forth before him, and a thousand thousands ministered to him. Ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court was seated, and the books were open. So now we see here God on his throne. And I watched verse 11 because of the sound of the pompous words which the horn was speaking. And I watched till the beast was slain and its body destroyed and given to the burning flame. So Antichrist, he's now cast into the eternal fire. Verse 12, and as for the rest of the beasts, this is the rest of the, the rulers that were there. They had their dominion taken away, yet their lives were prolonged for a season of time. And I was watching. The night visions, behold, one like the Son of Man coming with the clouds of heaven. He came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him. Then to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages shall serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which, they, which shall not pass away, and his kingdom the one which shall not be destroyed." So when we see this dragon here that comes on the scene, when we see Satan... We see here that it says he has these seven heads, ten horns, and seven diadems. Now, as we see here the ten horns, those were the ten kingdoms initially, the seven heads. Remember, he plucked out three of the horns. So you deal with, you know, he now takes the authority of all of them. And so you have now the seven heads the seven diadems on his heads, and of course the ten horns, which are the, those ten nations that are there, that he's now in charge of the three. Each other one is in charge of their own. But they're all submitted to him, the Antichrist. But basically he's just simply the tool of Satan. And so as he comes now, you see here that kingdom that he begins to establish here in the end times. Verse 4 says, his tail drew a third of the stars. Now, the stars is a unique term, like in Job 38, verse 7, where it says the morning stars sang together. It's a term that usually will speak to angels. So he drew a third of the stars. So Satan now with his tail, or it's a dragon, but he's going to call a third of the angels, and he's going to throw them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was ready to give birth to devour her child as soon as it was born. So here the enemy is wanting to prevent the Messiah from coming so that no one can be saved. Well, at this point, through Israel, the Messiah does come, but he was doing everything he could to prevent the woman from giving birth and now to try to devour her child as soon as it was born. Now, that's a good reference to Matthew chapter 2, 11 through 18, where you do have Herod coming in as soon as Christ was born. Now, all of a sudden, he's trying to slay every child, two and younger, once the Magi come and say, hey, where's he who's been born king of the Jews? 
So he's been trying to stop the Christ. Now he's trying to kill the Christ. And so we see here that this is where so often the enemy, you know, simply is tries to use people and um, culture to be his tools. And this is what he does here. So as we see here, he's now wanting to devour here this male child as soon as it was born. Verse 5, she bore a male child who was to rule all the nations with a rod of iron, and her child was caught up to God and his throne. At this point, we see that through verses 1 through um, 5, it talks about the beginning of the ministry of Jesus Christ, the end of the ministry of Jesus Christ. He came, and so basically, from verses 1 through 5 here on the earth, you're looking at 33 years. That's just the whole ministry of Jesus Christ. So now, he came on the scene. Satan thought, wow, I'm going to have victory. I'm going to kill this guy. And he allowed himself to die. He says, yes, I've devoured the child. I was like, nope, that was the plan all along. So at that point, his plan was thwarted. So, but now that this child was caught up to God and his throne, verse 6 says, Then the woman fled into the wilderness where she has a place prepared by God that they should feed her there 1,260 days. So as she's caught up into the wilderness, now she's called to, you know, leave where she is, go into the wilderness, and there God is going to watch over her and protect her for three and a half years. I want to read to you just a couple of passages here. The first is found in Matthew chapter 24, verses 15 to 21. Jesus declares this, Therefore, Matthew 24, 15, When you see the abomination of desolation, spoken by Daniel the prophet standing in the holy place, whoever reads, let him understand. So he's talking about the middle of the tribulation. Antichrist comes in, does the abomination of desolation there in the temple. Verse 16, Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let him who is on the housetop not go down to take anything out of his house, let him who is in the field not go back to get his clothes, but woe to those who are pregnant and those who are nursing babies in those days. And pray that your flight may not be in the winter or the Sabbath. For then, verse 21, there will be great tribulation such as not been since the beginning of the world until this time, no, nor ever shall be." So at this point, we see here that Jesus warns the, the nation of Israel, when you see that abomination of desolation, get out of town. Get out of the city. Flee to the mountains. Flee to the wilderness. Well, we understand that when Israel flees to the wilderness, and we'll see this clear at the end of this chapter, that as, as the woman is now fleeing with this war that's going to be happening here on earth, she now goes into the wilderness, and there that God is going to feed her there 1,260 days. For the three and a half years, God's going to protect her. One other passage I want to give to you found in Isaiah chapter 26. I want to read verses 20 all the way through chapter 27, verse 1. So Isaiah chapter 26, verse 20 says this, 
Come, my people, enter your chambers and shut your doors behind you. In other words, come into this secure place. Hide yourself, as it were, for a little moment. So God says, you're going to just hide. It's okay. I'm going to be here. I'm going to take care of you just for a little while. For a little moment until the indignation is past. For behold, the Lord comes out of his place to punish the inhabitants of the earth for their iniquity. The earth will also disclose her blood and will no more cover her slain. And now he says in chapter 27, verse 1 of Isaiah, For in that day the Lord, with his severe sword, great and strong, will punish Leviathan, the fleeing serpent, Leviathan, that twisted serpent, he will slay the reptile that is in the sea. So at this point, we see here another sign like that dragon coming after and pursuing Israel. And they said, don't worry, God says, I'll take care of it. It's all under control. And so this is in a nutshell what we see is happening. Is he, John sees the sign, the sign of Israel, spoken of by that dream of Joseph, the woman with the sun, the moon, and the 12 stars. Through her comes the Messiah. Now, as soon as the Messiah comes, Satan wants to either wipe out the child or stop the child from being born. We didn't go into Jeconiah, but... Um, he was one of the kings that God says at this point, you, no child of yours will ever sit upon the throne. And of course, God didn't allow any, you know, um, blood of Jeconiah's children to come through. He allowed Jesus to come through Mary and, and then Mary, Mary Joseph, who was of the descendants. So he, the blood curse was true. So within that, he tried to stop the, the nation Israel from having the Messiah through the blood curse of Jeconiah. He then tried to slay the, the child as soon as it was born with Herod. But then at this point here, the child now is taken up into heaven. And then from that point, we see here that this woman is going to flee into the wilderness. Now, as soon as Christ was taken up into heaven, Keep in mind that the woman isn't going to flee until what? Literally, we're, we're, we're looking at here thousands of years later. So between verse 5 and 6, you're literally looking at thousands of years. Because this, when Jesus is there 2,000 years ago, he went into heaven. And this isn't going to happen until the midpoint of the tribulation. So although John just sees this entire sign... He's still now dealing with the woman. He's dealing with Israel. And what he's going to be dealing with, as, as Israel gives birth to this child, Israel is now going to be targeted by Satan. And as Israel is targeted by Satan, you know as well as I do, the hatred that this much of this world has towards Israel. And Israel does nothing. You know, Israel is... It's crazy. Benjamin Netanyahu once said this. He says, if you take away all the guns from um, the Palestines, the Palestinians says, there will be peace. 
He says, but if you take away all the guns from Israel, there will be no Israel. So it isn't Israel that's seeking to do the wars. It's the Palestinians that constantly are, are you know, doing the attacks and they want to wipe Israel off the face of the earth. But, but they're not alone in that. There's been many cultures that want to wipe Israel off the face of the earth. And we understand um, you know, World War II. That was what Hitler wanted. He wanted to wipe the Jews off the face of the earth. But this is the Satan's whole plan is to try to say, now that the crisis here, if I can prevent Israel from being, if I can wipe Israel out, then what? Then God cannot come back to save Israel because there will be no Israel. And so you see this battle that's going on. So what happens is this. We've already talked about in verse 5 to verse 6, there's thousands of years that go on. Verse 6 is the middle of the tribulational period. It's in the three and a half years. Remember, the woman fled into the wilderness where a place has been prepared by God that they should feed her there 1,260 days. So for three and a half years, um, God is going to provide for Israel. Now, I love the fact that here in verse 6, where it says the woman fled into the wilderness where she has a place prepared by God. Do you know, this is amazing, that God has already prepared the place. It talks about such care, and, and God says, I've orchestrated this, and I know this is going to happen, and I've already prepared a place. It reminds me of that passage in John chapter 14, where he says, Let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house there are many mansions. I go to prepare a place for you. That where I am there, you'll be also. And I love because God says, I'm, I'm taking care. I'm planning this. I'm, I'm orchestrating everything that needs to. So a place is prepared. It means it's a done deal. It's not like God has to rush. Oh, we got to get something together. He says, no, it's already prepared. And so now that you realize in verse 6, the, the whole context is we're in the middle of the tribulational period. Don't lose that context now as you jump into verse 7. It declares this in verse 7, and a war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought with the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought, but they did not prevail, nor was a place found for them in heaven any longer. So the great dragon was cast out, that serpent of old called the devil and Satan who deceives the whole world. He was cast to the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. And then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brethren who accused them before our God day and night has been cast down. Now, Notice what's happening here. Everything seems to be in the present. This isn't in the past where Satan, you know, fell, you know, where, where we understand his fall was back in, you know, Isaiah 14, Ezekiel 28, where he, you know, wants to exalt himself above God. That was his first fall. Now, after he, and you know, as far as Satan was, was cast down, he was there in the Garden of Eden, there when, when you know, Adam and Eve came through, so uniquely, the first fall comes back in Ezekiel chapter 28. If you want to just jot down verses 14 through 16. He was cast down from heaven at that point because he wanted to exalt himself. 
Well, you know as well as I do that as we go through this scripture, there in the book of Job, chapter 1 and 2, there were times, there were seasons where the angels, where the sons of God would present themselves before God, and Satan was among them. He actually had access to heaven, and God said, hey, have you considered my servant Job? He goes, oh, yeah, I don't like that guy. You have a hedge about him. Um, we also see another passage, if you're familiar with that passage in Zechariah chapter 3, where it said, He showed me Joshua the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord and Satan standing at his right hand to oppose him. Joshua the high priest is here before the Lord and Satan is now standing to oppose Joshua. And the Lord said to Satan, verse 2, The Lord rebuke you, Satan, the Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you, is this not a brand plucked from the fire? Now, here's what I want you to ponder for just a second. Within this portion of scripture, in Zechariah chapter 3, let's look through the first couple of verses and really read what it says. As it says here, he showed me Joshua the high priest standing before the Lord. We understand that. Um, Joshua the high priest was there with Zerubbabel. And as Joshua the high priest, he's now before the angel of the Lord, Satan, standing at his right hand to oppose him. Now the Lord, with Satan wanting to oppose Joshua, says this, The Lord rebuke you, Satan, the Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Not Joshua, but Jerusalem rebuke you. Is this not a brand plucked from the fire? What I want to share with you is this, that I have more and more as I study the scripture, when I study this passage, um, I know that there was a point where Satan wanted to exalt himself initially. I have come to believe more and more and more that this war in heaven is taking place at the midpoint of the tribulation. That when the Antichrist goes into the temple and tries to say, I'm God, Satan at the same time is going into heaven and saying, I'm going to be God. I'm going to take over this place. That you see both things happening simultaneously. So as this woman goes into the wilderness where Jesus says, hey, watch out when this happens, get into the mountains. So verse 7 again in Revelation 12, war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought with the dragon. The dragon and his angels fought. Now, I'm going to share with you a passage from Daniel chapter 12, beginning in verse 1. Daniel 12, verse 1 as we look at kind of a timeline that's here. In Daniel 12, verse 1, it declares this, At that time, Michael shall stand up, the great prince, prince who stands watch over the sons of your people, and there shall be a time of trouble such as never was since there was a nation even to that time. And at that time, your people shall be delivered everyone who is found written in the book. Keep in mind that what Daniel is talking about, he's talking about here the time of the tribulation, Daniel's 70th week. He's talking about the midpoint of the tribulation. 
and as the Antichrist comes and, you know, claims that he's God. Well, at this point, what Daniel says, at that time, Michael stands up. So you see here that Michael is here at that midpoint in the tribulation coming against here, the Antichrist. He's coming against Satan himself. So when I see this war breaking out in heaven and Michael and his angels fought with the dragon and the dragon and his angels fought. Now, let's jump down to verse 10 for just a moment because he says this. I heard with a loud voice saying in heaven, now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ has come for the accuser of our brethren who accused them before our God day and night has been cast down. This is, he's now just been cast down. It's not like, oh, it was cast down for eons ago. No, at this point here, God is moving he just, you know, we see that Michael and his angels fight against Satan and his angels, and of course they did not prevail. Nor, and look at verse 8, nor was a place found for them in, heni, in heaven any longer. Satan has had access to heaven. Job and, and Zechariah, we know he's had access. But at this point, after this battle, they no longer have access so to me, more and more, what I'm seeing is that there is a, a war in heaven. And what we're going to see is in just a couple more verses, we're going to see, in fact, let me just jump there so you can, you can um, in verse 13 of chapter 12, now when the dragon saw that he had been cast to the earth, he persecuted the woman who gave birth to the male child, but the woman was given two wings of a great eagle that she might fly to the wilderness to her place where she is nourished for a time, times, and half a time. So understand that as soon as he's cast down, he's doing what? Now he's attacking Israel. That's his whole goal. And so what we're seeing here is this. So often people see this passage as a war that took place way back, um, you know, and this war took place before God created everything. And, and, and understand, Satan had exalted himself there. God had cast him down to the earth, and of course, Satan takes us third of the angels. But this battle here between verses 7 through 9 is, I believe, at the midpoint of the tribulation. So when the Antichrist is doing the abomination, Satan is now wanting to take control of heaven. But the unique thing in verse 7 is this, that war breaks out in heaven, and it's not God and his angels who fights with the dragon. It's Michael and his angels that fight with the dragon. You have to understand that, that God is not in any way in equal to Satan. Satan is not in any way in equal with God. Now, Satan and Michael, yeah, we could see that, both archangels. Um, and so, with this, Michael is that, that equal with Satan, so he and his angels fight with the dragon. Now, keep in mind that at the end of verse 9, it says this, who is the devil and Satan who deceives the whole world, he was cast to the earth with his angels. So, as we see here, Michael and the angels that were fighting with him 
against Satan and the angels that were fighting with Satan. Michael and his angels win. Of course, there's a two-third to one-third you know, um, ratio that was there. And so there was now, and I think this is where it's key in verse 8, they did not prevail, nor was a place found for them in heaven any longer. At that point, Satan is no longer allowed in heaven. So he's allowed up to the point where you see the, the midpoint of the tribulation. Verse 10. Oh, verse 9. So the great dragon was cast out, that serpent of old called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. He was cast to the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. So at this point, when Satan falls, here he is cast out for the second time. Now, if you're not aware Scripture really points out four falls of Satan. The first was his fall from grace, where you know he was all puffed up there in, in the book of Ezekiel 28. Here's the second fall, where he's now falling, and after the battle, he's now cast down. In chapter 20, we're going to see two more falls. There in verse 2, it says of Revelation 20, he laid hold of the dragon, that serpent of old, who was the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years, and he cast him into the bottomless pit and shut him up, set a seal on him, and that he must be released for a little while after a thousand years. That's the third fall. And then in verse 10, the devil who deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. That's the fourth fall. So he has four falls that he goes through. This here in verses 7 through 9, of course, is the second fall. Now verse 10, then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ to come for the accuser of our brethren has been cast down. Or the accuser of our brethren who accused them before our God day and night has been cast down. And they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony that they did not love their lives to the death. So as soon as he's cast down, this loud voice now declares in heaven, salvation, strength in the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come for the accuser of our brethren. I do believe that this loud voice is not the voice of an angel. And the reason why is because this, he says the, um, at the very end where he says, for the accuser of our brethren who accused them before God day and night has been cast down. He calls here the saints, the brethren. He's the accuser of the brethren. So whosoever is this voice is incredible. They're, they're speaking salvation, strength, the kingdom of God, the power of his Christ has come. And so the power of his Christ is this. In verse 11, they said they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. They overcame him by the blood of the lamb. Jesus' blood 
literally, if you can receive this, overcomes every accusation of the enemy. When he, like Joshua, says, you're filthy, you're horrible, and God says, hey, I've already taken, I've given you new garments, new turbans, new everything. You're now mine. And this is the power of Christ. Christ is here to take away all your sin. He's here to take away all the guilt. And he's here, if you can receive that, to not allow the enemy to have any accusations that would cause you to back away from sharing the incredible gospel. How many times does the enemy say, you know what, if you were someone else or if you did this, then you might be worthy. But now you're just not worthy. You're a hypocrite. Understand, all of his accusations have been literally wiped out by the blood of Jesus Christ, the handwriting of the requirements that was against us. He's taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. These accusations are no longer mine because everything that he said that I was guilty of, God says, paid in full, paid in full, paid in full. There's not one accusation that's left to my account. So I love the heart of this because it says the accuser of our brethren who accused them before our God day and night has now been cast down. And they, the saints, overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. I love the heart of the word of the testimony. There's a passage in Philippians 1 verse 6. I just want to read it to you. You know it. You'll know it when I read it to you. But it simply declares this, being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. That's my testimony. He's, he sees me as finished. You guys may not see me as finished. He sees me as finished. And, and he who has begun this good work, he is faithful to complete it. So when I stand before God... I'm literally, I'm covered by the blood of Christ and I'm righteous and as you are as well. So I love the heart of this because they overcame, yes, by the blood and the word of the testimony. <laughs> I may not be what I'm going to be, but I know I'm not what I used to be and God is going to one day make me perfect in his sight. And so, and the other fact that they did not love their lives to, their, to the death. I want to share with you a passage, jot it down. Matthew 10, verse 28 declares this, And do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy the soul and body in hell. Don't worry about someone who's simply saying, Listen, I'll punch your ticket to get you to God. Don't worry about those people. Um, worry about the one who has power to cast you and your soul into hell. That's who we have to fear, not, not Satan, not what he's going to do. And so the very fact is they didn't love their lives to their death. Now, when they didn't love their lives to the death, guess what? Death had no hold on them anymore. Death had no power over them. What are you going to do? You're going to kill me? Fine, kill me, because I'll tell you what, I'm going to be in a better place. All you can do is just stop this body from breathing, but, but I know, I know that my Redeemer lives, and in the end, he will stand on the earth, and I will see him. And so as we look to this, I love the heart of it, but this is where this beautiful thing, because once Satan was cast down from heaven, no longer are there any more accusations, no longer are there any more um, you know, where he's, he's accusing us before God day and night. And there's a rejoicing that's going on. And then in verse 12, Therefore, rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. 
And what a great word that now that Satan has been cast out of heaven, rejoice. However, keep in mind, that's not the end. It doesn't say just, okay, period, let's move on to another chapter. He said, but woe to the inhabitants of the earth and sea. So at this point, when Satan was cast down from heaven through this war, they said the heavens are going to rejoice, yes, but woe to the inhabitants of the earth and the sea, for the devil has come down to you having great wrath because he knows that he has a short time. At this point, all I have is three and a half years. So when he's cast down at this point, knowing he has only a short time, Verse 13 says, now when the dragon saw that he had been cast down to the earth, he persecuted the woman who gave birth to the male child. He now turns his attention back to Israel to truly wipe her out. But verse 14, the woman was given two wings of a great eagle. So this woman now was given these two wings that she might fly into the wilderness to her place where she is nourished for a time, times, and half a time from the presence of the serpent. So we see here that once the enemy is cast down, he begins to just be so angry that he no longer has a place in heaven that he's been cast out that he's now looking to kick the dog, basically. He's mad, and he's after Israel. And as he's after Israel, it's, it's interesting that we see here that hatred that he has, not because Israel has done anything, but because God has set his love upon her. That's it. When God sets his love upon his bride and, and you know his wife and Israel and the bride of Christ— all of a sudden, the world and the enemy, they hate, not because we do anything wrong, but because we are part of that light, and the enemy wants to wipe out that light. So this woman, verse 14, was given two wings of a great eagle that she might fly into the wilderness to her place. Now, this given the wings, there's a lot of people who think that you know there's, there's some type of, of help that she's going to get to launch her into the wilderness, whether it's, it's, but it's something that speeds up her process. So whether it's, it's some type of military transport or something, we don't know, but we do know this, that she's given this help. She was given two wings. So God now supernaturally speeds up her process to the place in the wilderness where God had prepared for her, and there she's nourished for a time, which is one year, and times, which are now two years, so a time and times, which is three years, and half a time. So she's nourished now for these three and a half years there in the wilderness. So verse 15, the serpent spewed water out of his mouth like a flood, after the woman that he might cause her to be carried away by the flood. So the enemy now comes and tries to wipe out Israel, tries to do everything he can to the fleeing Israel. And this is why Jesus says, wow, pray that you're not pregnant, praise not on the Sabbath, just get out and get out of town, flee and flee fast. So the serpent here is spewing this water out of his mouth like a flood. I want to share with you just one passage so you can at least just jot it down. Isaiah 
chapter 59, verse 19. Let me just read it to you. It declares this. So shall they fear the name of the Lord from the west and his glory from the rising of the sun. When the enemy comes in like a flood, the spirit of the Lord will lift up a standard against him. Now, what is this flood? Is it an actual water flood? I don't think so. I believe it's a type of a sign. Um, But if you want to say it's a water flood, I can't disagree with you because it simply says it's a flood. Is a flood... um, you know, uh, a sign for either an army that is of men or army that is demonic, whatever it is here, the army or this flood is coming after the woman in verse 15, that he might cause her to be carried away by the flood. Verse 16, but the earth helped the woman and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed up the flood, which the dragon had spewed out of his mouth. So whatever Satan is sending here to wipe out Israel, as Israel is now fleeing into the wilderness, keep in mind that God simply says, done. The earth opens up, swallows this flood, and and nothing happens to it. So it's absolutely incredible to see how God just saved these Jews that were now going out into the wilderness to be taken care of for the three and a half years. Now, if you've sat underneath um, my teaching for a while, you'll understand that I believe that the place in the wilderness where they will be taken to is called Petra. Um, It's a place there over by the Dead Sea. Um, And so as they're, they're carried away, there's a place in Petra where God can take care of them. Now, I understand that it could be somewhere else, another place of the wilderness. I don't have a problem thinking that it doesn't have to be Petra. I believe that it is, but I don't believe that it has to be. Because just as God took care of the children of Israel for 40 years in the wilderness, giving them manna, giving them water from the rock, he can do this for only three and a half years. This is nothing, you know, um, so for the Lord. But once God protects this remnant that goes into the wilderness that God protects, Verse 17, the dragon was enraged with the woman and he went to make war with the rest of her offspring who keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. At this point, because he cannot take out this remnant, he now goes and he makes war with everyone else who didn't get into this place. He makes war with those who were not in Jerusalem, who were not in Israel, who didn't get into this place. And so whether they're just Jews or Jews and the Christians, those who will be beheaded for their faith, he goes and he's enraged now. At that three and a half year, when you wonder why do they call this the Great Tribulation? Because Satan has just been cast down from heaven. And he's been cast down. Now he's really, really mad. And he goes, and as he lost to Michael and his angels, now he goes after the the children of men, God's saints, and he begins to make war against them. And what we see is is he's going to be prevailing. And, of course, that's what what Michael, um, what what Daniel says back in, in his book, where when the enemy comes and he begins to go after here um, the nation of Israel. Let me read to you a place from the book of Daniel. Daniel chapter 7. I want to read from verses 23 through 27. It declares this. 
Thus he said, the fourth beast shall be the fourth kingdom on the earth, which is different from all the other kingdoms, and shall devour the whole earth, trample and break it in pieces. The ten horns were the ten kings who shall arise from his kingdom, and another shall arise after them. And he shall be different from the first ones, and he shall subdue three kings. He shall speak pompous words against the Most High. And he shall persecute the saints of the Most High, and shall indeed intend to change the times and the law. Then the saints shall be given into his hand for a time, times, and half a time. So we see here that as this fourth beast comes, that during this time of the end of the great tribulation, that he is going to persecute the saints of the Most High. And he's going to persecute them, they're going to be given into his hand for a time, times, and half a time. These are all those offspring here at the end of the chapter. Now in verse 26, But the court shall be sealed, and they shall take away his dominion, and consume and destroy it forever. Then the kingdom and dominion and the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven shall be given to the people and the saints of the Most High, and his his kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and all dominions shall serve and obey him. It's interesting here how the world will want to make war with the enemy against Israel and against the saints. And I find it interesting that there is this demonic hatred, a demonic hatred for Israel. And in Israel is just this tiny little blip that's in the middle of, of really nowhere. And if it wasn't for just God and his hand, who's Israel? Who's Israel? And yet there's such a hatred against Israel. I want to read to you a, a newspaper clipping that was done way back in November 21st, 2004. A man by the name of Sebastian Rodriguez had written this down. And at this point, back in 2004, um, he, he writes this. And he's, he's walking in Spain. And he says this. I walked down the street in Barcelona. And suddenly, I discovered a terrible truth. Europe died in Auschwitz. We killed six million Jews and replace them with 20 million Muslims. In Auschwitz, we burned a culture, thought, creativity, talent. We destroyed the chosen people, truly chosen because they produced great and wonderful people who changed the world. The contribution of this people is felt in all areas of life, science, art, international trade, and above all, as the conscience of the world, these are the people we burned. And under the pretense of tolerance, and because we wanted to prove to ourselves that we were cured of the disease of racism, we opened our gates to 20 million Muslims who brought to us stupidity and ignorance, religious extremism, the lack of tolerance, crime, and poverty due to an unwillingness to work and to support their families with pride. 
They have blown up our trains and turned our beautiful Spanish cities into a third world drowning in filth and crime. Shut up in the apartments they receive free by the government. They plan the murder and destruction of their naive host. And thus in our misery we have exchanged culture for fanatical hatred, creative skill for destructive skill, intelligence for backwardness and superstition. We have exchanged the pursuit of peace of the Jews of Europe and their talent for a better future for their children. They're determined clinging to life because life is holy for those who pursue death, for people consumed by the desire for death for themselves and for others and for our children and theirs. What a terrible mistake was made by miserable Europe. This is a powerful testimony how this guy realized that we had this culture that was blessing us. We burned six million, allowed another culture to come in, and we're tolerating this culture. You understand they're tolerating culture of people who want to kill them, but they couldn't tolerate the culture of the people who wanted to bless them. Why? Because of a satanic hatred. And there's a reason why you can say anything negative about a Christian, but you can't say negative about any other religion or what, or you have religious intolerance. Only Christianity can you ridicule. Why? Because of the satanic hatred. And I found it this, this article just incredibly interesting. At this point, when, when this was done in 2004, there were um, 20 million Jews. At this point, the last note that I had in 2010 were 44, or there were 20 million Muslims. Now there's 44 million Muslims that was there in 2010. And he said the numbers are just going up and up. And, and it's interesting to see here this incredible hatred for the nation Israel. And you have to understand that when it comes, it's demonic. That, that's all it is. It's demonic. And the only reason that Israel is hated by Satan and by the world is because they're loved by God. And I'm just, I want to close with this. Know this, that if they hated Jesus, if they persecuted Jesus, they're going to hate you too. They're going to persecute you too. And why? Because you're not greater than your master. And I think that, that when you come to this and when you see the wars, understand that yes, there is going to be persecution. We saw that there in this text of Revelation 12. We saw it also in that text that we read in Daniel 7. There is going to be a persecution. But know this, if you are ever persecuted to the point of death, you are home. And if you aren't persecuted to the point of death, you're still going to be home. No matter what happens, Jesus wins. And, and so when it comes to the enemy wanting to just have this war, he has no power against God. And as a matter of fact, that God doesn't even fight with him. He doesn't even send Jesus to fight with him. He says, all right, let's get the, the, the C string out here. You know, let's get Michael and his archangel and a couple angels and we'll take care of him. And of course it does. One angel is going to just grab him and bind him into prison. That's all it's going to take. So understand that although there's a hatred, it's spiritual. They, they don't hate you because of anything that you're doing. They hate you because it's spiritual. And so don't be surprised when they hate you. Don't be surprised when they persecute you. And I think this is a good word for us. Because the more you let your light shine, 
the more that people realize that you love Jesus Christ and you are loved by Jesus Christ, the world is going to hate you. It is. And, but but, but make, make, make no mistake that here, as the enemy makes war, as the enemy makes war, as the enemy makes war, that we realize that what? That God, you've got a plan. And in heaven is going to be, your victory is going to be won. And the war that he has here, it's for a short time. Understand, it's just for a short time. We think three and a half years is a long time, but it's just a short time. Um, anyone who's over the age of 50 realize that three and a half years is just a short time. If you're under the age of 50, you may not have figured that one out yet. Um, but it's just a short time. And so as we go through this, I think it was just a great word to see that, yes, all of this pointed out to say, yes, there is this woman who is Israel, there's a war in heaven, and because Satan loses that war, he's now enraged to the point, which is why this last half of the tribulation is called the Great Tribulation. Satan himself comes and rages war himself. It'll be developed in the next few chapters as we go through, but at this point, I think it's just a good message for us to realize that, you know what, when they hate you, it's not because it's you, it's Christ in you. Father, we do thank you for this word. We thank you for your heart. We thank you for how you work and how you, you move here in our midst. Thank you, Lord, for just your incredible grace in this word. And Father, we, many of us, have experienced just that persecution, not because we're, we're doing anything wrong, but because we're loved by you and the enemy, the enemy of our our souls, he wants to destroy. He wants to kill and maim and, and make us so that we're not useful for you. But yet you've done the work, Jesus. It is your power in which we stand, your power in which we preach. So continue to do this word, this work with, with your word and, and the, um, that testimony and your blood. Do the work. Show us who we are in you. Oh, we ask it in Jesus' name and all the saints of God said, Amen. Amen.